This morning, what we're gonna be talking about is things that weigh you down, things that are holding you back. Because all of us this morning are coming in with some baggage. We're coming in, we're coming in with things that are just weighing us down, whatever it is. And I think we tend to just feel like we're carrying this heavy load, this heavy backpack, and we see others that just seem free. Just like the guy running by in the video. He's just running by, he's fine, and you just kind of go, why am, why am I not feeling free like that? Why am I feeling weighed down? And the, and the thing that's really difficult about our weights, our struggles, is that it feels to invade everything. Everything. You saw in the video, it invades his work. It invades his family life. It invades every area because of this weight that he's carrying. And see, I think there's a real struggle as believers that some are facing. That's a genuine struggle that day after day, in the midst of feeling these weights, they have this struggle, and the struggle is this, that they feel that they have disappointed and angered God for no reason. They have this weight that they carry in the midst of whatever they're struggling with. They think that God has purposefully put that upon them because they're bad, because they're wrong. And so what I believe is really important is, is we really need to have a realistic approach of who God is. And often we just kind of look at that and think that, that we're kind of that kid that's just kind of playing with the flower in the kitchen. And, you, and we think we're doing something awesome for, for dad. And then Jesus, God walks into the room and just goes, really? Really? And, and I think sometimes some of us feel like that. Like when, when we have time with God, we walk into the room and God is just like, really? Really? Why aren't you getting this? Why, why aren't you doing more? Why aren't you like the others? Without all the weight. I think this is our idea of God in our relationship with him. And so I have a question for you to really ponder and really think about intentionally as we get into our text. Think of this question. What do you think God thinks when he thinks about you? What do you think God thinks when he thinks about you? Because what you think God thinks when he thinks about you matters See, this is a tongue twister. But what do you think God thinks when he thinks about you? And what do you think about? See, this idea is very important. This idea is huge because often our view of God, I wanna make sure you get this, so I'm gonna speak as slow as possible so I can unpack this. Our view of God often is through the lens of our own views. Our view of how we see God is often through our own personal views. So we base our view on what we think he thinks of us when he's thinking. And so our tendency, here's where our tendency falls into a pattern, is that we believe if we're having a good day, if we're having a good day morally, if we're having a good day relationally, at work, at home, God sees us as good. If we're doing good, God sees us as good. But if we're doing bad if we're doing bad in these areas, morally, relationally, at work or at home, God sees us as bad. That, that if we're doing good, God sees us as good. If we're doing bad, God sees us as bad. And so from this, there becomes this unhealthy pattern of performance. And so we make our entire life performance-based, believing that the greater the performance, the better the outcome. And see, here's, here's where this is a whole cultural issue, is that this is something that we've grown up actually with. This is something we've grown up with, that our behavior matters. 
Our behavior matters, which means better behavior, better outcome. If I do better, I get better things. And this is rooted in our culture and in our upbringing. It's how we often view others and how we think they view us. So this is something that we see all throughout our lives. So if, if that means you do better in education, that means better grades, that means a better job for you and a better outcome. So if you do better in work, it means a higher position. It means more money and a better outcome. So if you do better in relationships, if you don't have any struggle, if you don't have any of these things, you have a happier life and a better spouse. And this is the belief that there's a better outcome in all of these things. But what if this isn't the way that God views you? What if this isn't the way that God is seeing you? See, here's what's important for you to understand. These are all things you do. All of these things, the education, the work, the relationships, these are all things that you do. So when we think God views us through the lens and through the filter of what we're doing, then our relationship with him is performance-based. Okay, I'm not doing very good in the education piece. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta study more. I gotta be better because that wasn't an A+. And so on and on it goes where this belief is where we need to have a performance-based relationship with God. And so the problem with this is that we never rise above the task of succeeding. We never succeed. You'll never succeed if your relationship with God is performance-based. Thinking that you need to do more, you need to do better, you'll only fail harder. And so on and on this cycle goes. And, and for us, it just stacks the weights upon us higher and higher, making the load heavier every time. And so when you go before God, it just makes the performance worse. With agony, you're like, oh, I just gotta do better. Oh, and, and everything is this, is this confession that isn't real. It's more like, oh man, God, I'm, I'm not good enough. I, man, I should have done that better. It, it's not really, God, just consume me. I'm God, forgive me. It's, it's not a genuine confession. It's a guilt. It's not a response to the call. It's just this guilt that actually draws you farther away from the presence of God. So what's weighing you down this morning? There's a lot of things that I think we walk through the doors. We walk into relationships with, that are weighing us down and they're invading every area of our life. They're turning up everything upside down in the wrong way. And so what's weighing you down? Is it your view of God? Is it how you think God views you? Is the weight isolation? Is it loneliness? I think sometimes we can be lonely in a crowd. And I think we have some lonely people. Is it addiction for you where you struggle? Maybe it's pain or, or death. Experiencing that of lost ones. Maybe it just that depression, the thing that's weighing you down. Regret, man, I should have done this. I wished I would have done this different. You wish you could just go back and all of these things are weighing you down. Maybe for you, there's something I didn't say that for you, you're going, no, there's still something there that's a weight that's not even listed. And for you, that makes it harder because you don't even know how to put it on the list and begin to identify it. And so on and on it goes that we think the way God views us is actually really based on how we view God. And so this morning, what we're gonna do 
is we're gonna look at a passage where there is a woman who has an encounter with Jesus, who has a weight that in fact disconnects her from the culture. And so in this story, there is this woman who, as we read in Matthew, you can also read this story in Luke. And in this story, this woman has spent everything she can to resolve an issue. For 12 years, she's had uncontrollable, constant bleeding. And so for her, there is this weight that she has seen physicians and she has tried to resolve this and never had resolve. And so for her, she's viewed in this stigma way. You're the unclean one. And so as we look at this story, we see this person who has an incredible weight. And then we see what she does with her weight. So in Matthew chapter nine, I'm gonna read verse 18 through 22. While he was saying these things to him, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with the disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I touch his garment, If only I touch his garment, I will be made well. And Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. Instantly the woman was made well. So here's the fact of the story. I'm gonna unpack this pretty quickly and I'm not gonna take a whole lot of time this morning because I think this is really simple and I think we can probably add some theological words and we can add some biblical context, but I think let's make it simple this morning. So you may get out of here before 11 a.m., okay? How wonderful is that? So here's the facts of this morning. Here's a woman who has an affliction of 12 years And for her, in the cultural context, for her, she's not only unclean, she's a lawbreaker. She's not to be around anyone. So she's breaking the law because of her issue. She should not be around people. And so because she goes in the midst of the crowd while Jesus is headed somewhere else, let's remember that. Jesus is headed somewhere else. She goes in, breaks the law, and is an outsider. And here's what I believe, why so many Christians are unwilling, why we're so unwilling, and even those outside who just feel done with church, they feel uninterested in returning again, maybe to the church, even to the presence of God. They're just like, I don't want it. And here's why. I think it's because they're convinced on every level of mind, soul, body, they are just convinced there's going to be judgment. There's going to be just a painful agonizing. We're going to put you out in the spotlight and show all the dirty little things. And so there's this idea that there's going to be judgment. There's going to be condemnation. The church will ban around you, but to show you what's wrong with you. They think there's going to be condemnation and they think there's going to be rejection. They're going to look at my stuff and they're going to go, now go somewhere else. And so this is where the woman walks into a group boldly. She's unclean. She's viewed as a lawbreaker and absolutely an outsider. She's not to be in Jewish context. She's not to be around anyone else. And she defies all of these things to go meet with Jesus. Now, here's what I think is the most 
powerful two words that we see about Jesus. One of the most great, one of the greatest examples of the gospel, an incredible element of it, is that Jesus turned. Jesus turned around to her. In the midst of him going elsewhere, think about this. For you, if you ever feel like, man, Jesus is going here, you don't, go, you don't got time for what I've got. Remember the story of this woman, that when we give him our weights, Jesus turns around. When we give him our weights, what is weighing upon us, Jesus turns around. And he does that with this woman. Everyone else, viewing her as unclean, viewing her as an outsider... I think for many, of these, for many who would just feel like, man, I don't, I don't want to come back to church. I don't want to come back to the presence of God. They feel like, man, there's going to be judgment. There's going to be this condemnation. They're going to look at my weight and go, that's what's wrong with you. You better resolve that before you come here. And I think when we just openly give our weight to Jesus, as we see in this story, Jesus turns around. He turns around. And for whatever reason for us, we have this idea that we have to be perfect little followers of Jesus. We have this idea that when we choose to follow Jesus, we have to be perfect in every way. And we overanalyze every little piece of scripture, not applying it, overanalyzing it. Going, man, I'm not doing good there. I'm not doing great over here. I'm not doing good there. And it just weighs upon us. So can I just tell you this morning that that thinking is wrong? You've been lied to. You've heard something that's not true because we are called to be faithful followers of Jesus. There's a big difference between perfect and faithful. There's a chasm of a difference between those two. And I think what what Jesus lays out earlier in Matthew 9 is really true of this. That earlier in the same chapter, after calling Matthew, the tax collector, right? The IRS guy, he's calling him the corrupt tax guy, he calls him. And then he says this to the Pharisees, the perfect religious people. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I came not to call the righteous, I came to call sinners. And so what this means for us is that Jesus desires to meet you where you're at. He desires greatly to meet you in the midst of all of your weight. All of the things that are weighing you down. But here's what we need to understand. He has no desire to leave you there. It's true. Jesus desires to meet you where you are at. Where you're at right now. Whatever you are struggling with. But he has no desire to leave you there. I said last weekend that for the religious leaders, they would often say, change and you can join us. If you just change all of these little things, right? All of the things that Christians are often convinced of, that there's going to be judgment. If they share these things, there's going to be condemnation and rejection. And this is a religious approach. That the religious approach is change, and then you can come join us. Fix all these things. But here's the the backwards thing that's incredible about Jesus. He says, follow me, and you will change. Follow me, and you will change. But you have to decide to follow. You have to decide if you're going to follow. And what we see, we see this example with Peter. That Jesus says, come follow me and I'll teach you to fish for men. I'll teach you to make disciples. Now see, over that time, over that whole relationship between Jesus and Peter, there was a lot of change that took place. 
But Jesus didn't demand Peter to change. He demanded him to follow. Come follow me and you're going to change. So regardless of where you, wherever you are at this morning, wherever you're coming from, the invitation is not to change. The invitation is to follow because the end result is change. See how that works? The, Jesus invites us to follow. He says, yeah, there's some things. I want you to put me first before, before all that other stuff. So the end result is change, but he says, follow me and you're gonna experience all of that change. I'm gonna take that weight off of you. When you just give that weight to me, I'm gonna turn around. We're gonna do some work on that. I think the second thing that we see from this story is when, when we give him our weights, Jesus gives us hope to take heart. When we give him our weights, Jesus gives us hope to take heart. See, throughout the gospel, through the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus continually uses this phrase, these two words, take heart. And what he means in this is he says, I want you to start to be hopeful. I want you to be confident. I want you to be brave, not in yourselves. Don't try to base it upon yourselves, your view of what you think about when God thinks about you. But I want you to base it, I want you to base it upon who I am, who I am. And so one of the times that Jesus says this to his disciples is in John 16, 33. Jesus says this, he says, in the world, you will have tribulation. In the world, you're going to experience trials. If anyone has ever told you that following Jesus is gonna be perfect and easy, there's another lie for you. Following Jesus is the best decision you will ever make, but it's not the easiest. So Jesus promises his disciples, listen, in this world, in this earthly time, you're gonna have some troubles. You're gonna have some trials. But take heart. Begin to put your hope in Jesus. Put your hope in me. Put your confidence and your bravery in me. And he says this, because I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. And here's where I think the, the, the weight creeps in is that I think for some of us, we've begun to struggle once again with our weights and we're being overcome by the world. And when we allow those things to creep in, when we allow those weights to just go back in, we're, we're holding on to new lies, not new truths, new lies. And first we're unpacking the truth that I am redeemed I am called a son, a daughter. We unpack all of these things and we put the lies and the weights back in the bag. And this is what weighs upon us. And so the truth is that the weight is our own sin often, not always, but our own sin. And it just creeps in and it keeps us from faithfully following Jesus. Is that often we just become so overcome by the things of the world. And like the woman, we need to go to Jesus. Not anywhere else, but we need to take our weight to Jesus. And literally, if you read story in one of the other gospels, you'll see that she just comes crawling before the feet of Jesus. She just brings all of her stuff before him. And see, I think when we choose intentionally, when we choose intentionally to bring our weight before Jesus, we still have this idea that he's disappointed and he's angered. That, that God is, is just angry. Why didn't you bring that weight sooner? Why didn't you do that better? 
And this is sometimes what our thinking is. And then we're looking at God as he's looking at us and, and we just think his response is, really? Really? And this is the struggle that we're in. And this is where we just hold onto our weight going, you're right, God. I should have done better. And I don't think that's the voice of God. That is not the voice of God. Because the voice of God is clear in scripture. As we see in John three sixteen, One of the most popular verses in kids' ministry culture, and I think that Christians have an ease of, and a tendency to memorize and know, but not often take to heart. So for a moment, just think on that verse. And just replace those words that are of all of us and, and, and put your name in there. For God so loved Ryan that he gave his only son. Think about that for a moment. For God so loved Carmen that he gave his only son that if you are to believe in him, if you choose to follow him, then you will not perish, but have eternal life. I see, I think this is the truth that we need to grab a hold of this morning. That God doesn't look at you and I based on what we do. Stop thinking that. Stop thinking that it's after all you do. Here's what we need to understand is that he looks at you. This is simple but important. Listen to this. God looks at you based on who you are in Christ. So when you stand before God, it's not you that he looks at and went, man, you perfectly followed. He looks at Christ in you and says, you sought Christ. And so for you and I to choose to not be overcome by the world, overcome by all of our weights, this means that we need to live our lives, not based on past, not based on all the stuff that's just weighing us down, but based on Christ in us. Based on Christ in us. And so when we look at that simple verse, John three sixteen, God didn't just kind of love you. That word so is a critical theological statement that God so loved you. He so loved you. He wasn't waiting for you to be perfect. He perfectly gave his son so that you would choose to follow him that you'd lay all your weight at the table and choose to follow him. I mean, for some reason, we have this idea that we gotta get perfect. I mean, there's so many ways to say it, but I think what's interesting, we even see this in the Old Testament. This is so out of whack. Maybe you're not getting out of here before 11. But I think what's, what's interesting is we see that God saves his people from slavery. He uses a stuttering identity crisis guy to do it. A guy who doesn't think he's fit for leadership. God says, what's in your hand? He says, a staff, go lead my people. So he goes, he sets them free and then gives them the law. If you've never thought of that, think about that for a second. First, God sets his people free. No condition, just set my people free so they can worship me. And then he gives them the law. And none of you, none of, none of us perfectly or ever fulfilling the law, but Jesus did. Jesus did. So you've been set free. 
You have been called. And so I think what's important for us to understand this morning is God so perfectly loved you that he wants you to just lay your weight down, to take heart and to choose to live for Christ, to live for relationship with God through Christ in you. See, Paul says this in Galatians 2.20 that I think perfectly sums up what it means to faithfully follow Jesus. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, which means laying down the weight and taking up Christ. He says, in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Not who called me, not who had a plan for me to be educationally perfect, who loved me and gave himself for me. A popular author and a man who was very bold was Diedrich Bonhoeffer. And one of the things he said was when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And see, what a lot of people, what I think it's easy to quote people is we don't always think about what's the background. You know, oh man, it's so easy to say. How do you, how do you live that out? And see, back in the day when, when Bonhoeffer was my age, all of these men saw this great leader arising and going, man, this is a great leader rising up. He could be a great voice in the church, a great voice in our culture. Let's follow him. And Bonhoeffer called him the Antichrist and said, no, I will not lean towards the leadership of this man. He contradicts the word of God. He contradicts this. And so I'm gonna follow Jesus, not this guy. And so that great leader who was Hitler put him in prison. He said, you defy me, I'm gonna put you over here. And Bonhoeffer spent the rest of his life and the rest of his ministry in the midst of this, what we would call weight, he chose to leverage it based on who he was in Christ. And before the war was over, making sure that this Christian preacher didn't win, Hitler was sure to have put him to death. And so Bonhoeffer's life, what he experienced his whole time, he died a virgin, didn't get married, he didn't experience a lot of things that you and I are experiencing. And for him, he based his whole life upon Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. So I'm gonna do all things. I'm gonna, I'm gonna empty all of the weight out of here so I can hold fast to Christ. And so from this, what we see is that we need to take heart. Let go of all the things that are weighing us down and hold on to Christ. Hold on to Christ for God so loved you that he sent Christ so that Christ would be in you, the hope of glory. Let's pray.